You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Would you turn there, Genesis chapter 22, and, and as you find it, we'll stand together for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 22, and, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And uh, again, to our first-time guests, thank you for being here. And I hope that, you know, one thing things that we try to make a distinction here at Eastside Baptist Church is the, the preaching of God's Word. And uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we try to preach usually verse by verse through, through God's Word. And, uh, and I hope that you'll, that you'll lock in right now. Sometimes it's easy uh, to kind of lose sight or lose focus when the Word is preached or read. Um, but right now is, is the best time to lock in. Uh, because I, God has something for us today. I really believe that if we'll just give him our best attention. Genesis 22, begin reading in verse number 1. Uh, this, is, this is one of the climaxes of, in all of Scripture. This is Abraham's high point in life. And this is one of those texts that I've been anticipating for a while. And, uh, and I, I don't want to mess it up, if that makes sense. Because this is such an important truth and all we really need to do, all we could do this morning is read it and dwell on it. And that'd be enough to learn some important lessons. We'll try to look at it together and, and see just how important this is, not only to Abraham and God's plan, but also for our lives. Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And let me just say before I move forward that this is years after Genesis 21, um, many believe that Isaac was probably in his 20s or his late teens. We'll just assume he's around 20 years old. And when it says that God did tempt Abraham, it's not saying that God was tempting Abraham to sin. Uh, because we know that God doesn't do that. He, can't, he doesn't tempt. I will talk about that in a moment. This is a test for Abraham. This is God pr- letting Abraham prove himself, not tempting him to sin. Look at verse Again, at verse 1, it says, And he said at the end, Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. What a thing to ask a father to do. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there. Just try to imagine in your mind's eye. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand. And took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. And said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men and they rose up and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. What a story. What an account. It's not just a story, it's an account. This really happened. It was a test of Abraham's heart. And I would say that he passed with flying colors, wouldn't you? But when your test comes, my question this morning is, will you pass? Because tests reveal who we truly are. And no one is exempt from being tested. I want you to understand that nobody is exempt from being tested. You can be doing everything right and God could test you to reveal your heart. And I want to look at that, how to handle our tests this morning. And I'm calling the message today, how to pass a heart test. How to pass a heart test. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you give us your, our, you help us to have full attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a few things in life more nerve-wracking than tests. And I don't know about you, but when I, I remember as a, as a young man, and then I, I went and worked on a, an advanced degree later as, a, as an adult, and it never changed. It seemed like I thought, I would, I've got this under control. I'm going back to class as an adult with five kids, and I am established. But I remember the first time I took a test and for working on my master's degree, and the same thing happened when I was 14 years old taking a test in middle school. My heart rate increased, my palms got sweaty, uh, simple things that I knew confidently 10 minutes before were suddenly out of my mind. You know, two plus two equals four, that's easy, but when there's a clock, you start to wonder if it's a trick question. I mean, tests are, are hard, and some people just aren't good test takers. Maybe, would you say, I'm just not a good test taker? Maybe there's some like that in here, there's a few hands going up. And that's true, you may get a bad grade because you're not a good test taker, but I also think sometimes a bad grade simply reveals that we weren't ready for the test. Yeah, and that's what, that's what tests do, they reveal what you know. A test proves uh, what's on the inside. And school tests are one thing, friends, but life tests are another. 
School tests reveal what you know, but life tests reveal what you are. And when you're faced with a health trial, your response real, reveals who you are. When you're faced with a financial hardship, set, a, a setback in your finances, uh, your response indicates who you are, what you're believing in the moment, when, you've betra- when you're betrayed by others, when you're let down and you have to respond in the right way, it reveals something about you. Uh, a life test is what Abraham was facing. And I would call this test a test of the heart. Let's consider it a stress test. I don't know if anybody had a stress test before, and I'm getting to the point where I probably ought to think about doing one of those. They say when you get to be 40 or over, then you got to take a stress test. And I know, uh, just just imagine then that God has given Abraham a stress test, and and he's brought him into the, the room, and there's a treadmill, and then, you know, that piece of furniture that is the least used in most of our homes, the treadmill... And, and, and God, the doctor, with Abraham, he places the electrodes on Abraham's chest at the right spots. And then he, he hooks him up to the EKG. And then he get, puts him on the treadmill. And then in this case, in this heart test for Abraham, God doesn't give Abraham a warm-up. He turns it up to 12 miles an hour from the very beginning. That's the kind of test that Abraham is facing. It's a heart test. And God is trying to reveal uh, Abraham's heart through this testing. And I'm asking you that today, um, I mean, does God have your heart? If you had a heart test today, uh, what it would, re- would it reveal about your heart? Because God is trying to find out from Abraham if God is really more important than everything else in Abraham's life. Is God really first, even above his son, Isaac? And if you had a heart test this morning, what would it reveal? Who has your heart? I want to examine uh, ourselves using Abraham's test this morning. There are three parts to the test, and there are, this is often true. There are three parts to a test in school that you've got, you've got to hear the instructions for the test, and then you have to take the test, and then you get the grade. And we see all three of those things take place in Abraham this morning, is that first you hear the instructions. You know, when you take a test, what does the teacher often say? The teacher often says, okay, read the instructions before you take the test. And I don't know if anybody, if you had a, a teacher like this, but they give you a test in the test and they put this, little, this special little instruction in there that you read all the way through the instructions and that very last line says, okay, read through the instructions, but then write your name at the top and the, turn the test in because you get 100%. Anybody have a cruel teacher do that to your class before? I did too. I remember in middle school that happening and, and uh, our teacher gave us a test and, and, and we all started autom- automatically, immediately started filling it out. But a few of us, and I'm not going to brag this morning, but a few of us read the instructions all the way through and it said, write your name at the top, turn it in and you get 100%. And so while everyone else was going through the misery of taking a test and, tr- and working against the clock, a few of us sat there with, with very easy minds and hearts because we read all the way through it, 100%. Well, Abraham's life test starts with clear instructions, very clear. 
Moses in writing this account. Uh, he's the narrator, if you will. Moses is. He makes it clear that Abraham is being tested by God. And again, James 1 says, let, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's not what's happening here. There's a difference between tempting someone to sin and testing someone to prove them. And, and, you know, and, I, and I had teachers like this as well, and they would give you a test, and they would make it so hard because they wanted you to fail. And to me, that's, a, that's not a good teacher. I, I taught for a number of years even in a, in a college setting, and I never viewed it as my job to fail everybody because if everybody fails, that reflects on me as the teacher, and I don't want everyone to fail. No, I, I viewed tests as a way to test their knowledge. Have they learned? Have they studied? Are they prepared? And God was not setting Abraham up to just fail and sin. No, he's setting him up to prove him. He, he's setting him up to reveal his heart. He doesn't hide anything. His instructions are clear. And look from the very beginning how clear God's instructions are. In verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering. Can you imagine what a sobering moment this was for Abraham? I'm not going to spend time today trying to explain God's testing process. I don't know why God would do it this way or I'm not going to try to get inside God's head about it because I'm not God and I can't understand the, way, the reason he does things with, that he does. But one thing we do know is that God is against child sacrifice. Every soul matters to God. Which is, by the way, if you're a Bible believer, then you should be 100% against abortion. Because every life matters to God, every baby matters to God, every soul matters to God. So this is not a revelation that, well, God is for child sacrifice. He's not. We also know that God doesn't hate people. He's not cruel just to sit up in heaven and laugh at their calamities. No, he, he's, he loves Abraham, he loves Isaac, and he loves us. We also know that the end of the story shows he doesn't require Abraham to follow through. So before we start doubting God, rather than trying to get into his head about it and try to understand all of his methods, let's just trust that the sovereign, sovereign God's ways are perfect and he does all things well. So he proves the superiority of his methods by the end of the story because it reveals Abraham's heart. But let's not miss that how difficult this would have been for Abraham. Consider how these instructions must have pierced his heart. God said, I want you to take thy son, thine only son, you say, well, wait, what about Ishmael? Well, the, Isaac was the only legitimate son of promise in God's eyes. Take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and he says, whom thou lovest. I mean, like a knife twist in the heart of Abraham. You know, this wasn't just somebody that, that God was saying, okay, take a servant you don't know very well. No, he's saying, take your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. And I guarantee you, Abraham loved Isaac. He loved him dearly. Uh, it was, I, I imagine that Isaac was really in many ways uh, at the center of Abraham's life. I imagine that, that he saw Isaac, I mean, as so important to him. And, and think about it, and when, when Isaac, I'm sorry, when Abraham was asked to let Ishmael go a chapter before, um, I, as hard as it was for Abraham, it says it was grievous for him to do that. But as hard as it was, he still had Isaac waiting for him in the tent. Well, this time God comes and says, your only son whom you love. In other words, I want you to take your only son and sacrifice him, and there's not another son waiting in the wings. This is your only son, 
the son whom you love, and the son that's at the center in very many, many ways, I imagine, the center of your heart. Think about it. Abraham had waited decades for this son. Can you imagine how that would impact your love? It was the son of his old age. There, were probably, there was probably nothing earthly more important to Abraham than his son Isaac. I mean, if you've ever had a valuable possession, you know how well you take care of it. I remember my very first car. It was a 1967 Chevy Bel Air four-door. Three on the tree. And you know, it cost me $300. But I, I, I loved that thing. I mean, I would, here's how ridiculously I, I loved it. I would every once in a while, just, just because, I would go to the front door and check out the front door to make sure it was still parked out front. Because it wouldn't fit in my parents' garage. And I just knew somebody was going to steal it because everyone wanted it. Nobody's going to steal that car. But you know, when you have something that's of great value to you, you take care of it. I imagine Abraham took really good care of Isaac. Like your firstborn child, this happens with parents. That firstborn child, you take really good care of that baby. You know, it cries in the middle of the night and you're sprinting, racing to see who can go check on the baby first. You wake up in the morning, you go make sure that baby's still alive every morning. By the fourth child, third or fourth child, you're just, you know, happy if you find them outside wandering the streets, you're just happy if they have a diaper on. I mean, that's, I mean, that first baby though, I'm telling you, not really, okay, not really. But that first baby, I mean, you take good care and you love, and you love all your children, but that first one, you're just paranoid at times. And can you imagine, this is in Abraham's old age, this is the son of promise, and I guarantee Isaac had a large part of Abraham's heart which makes this more, all the more devastating when he hears the words, go to Moriah unto the place that I'll show you and I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering. What kind of instructions? I mean, how difficult would these be? God's not asking Abraham for something small. He's asking of him of something, for something of great importance. He's asking for that which likely sits at the very center of Abraham's heart and not just something that matters to Abraham. I mean, Isaac is essential to God's plan. Isaac is, is, is the son of promise. If you'd asked Abraham, here's what Abraham would have told you. If you'd asked Abraham, he would have told you, it's God's will for me to have Isaac. God made a promise. Isaac came. He opened Sarah's womb. We had a child when I was 100 and Sarah was 90. This is God's will for me to have Isaac. God wanted me to be the father of this boy. He was a direct answer to prayer. It's through Isaac that the nations of the earth will be blessed and that the Messiah will eventually come. And here's God asking for him to be sacrificed. And this is the essence of surrender. God doesn't ask us for our leftovers. He asks us for our very best. And we could spend a lot of time in application there this morning, but I, I'm not going to hit that very hard, but I'm just asking you today, are you giving God your very best? Or does he get our leftovers in our service, in our walk with God, in our time, in our money? Is God first in our lives? The divine teacher gives us tests and he expects us to do our very best. In today's vernacular, in today's language, he asks his disciples, Jesus says, that we are to forsake family and leave everything and follow him. Not because he's cruel, not because he wants us to literally hate everybody else, but because he as God deserves to be first in our lives. Is he getting your best this morning? Listen, following God will involve your willingness to sacrifice that, that which is most important to you, even if it's a gift from God. 
And it's here that we start to see Abraham's heart. He listens to the instructions. Uh, he, God's word gets his attention very from the very beginning. He says, behold, here I am. Maybe the simplest way this morning to tell whether or not God has our heart is how seriously we take God's instructions. And you know, every one of us have access to God's instructions through his book right here. And I'm asking you today, how seriously do you take God's instructions in your life? Because you knew that from the very beginning that God had Abraham's heart. Because when God's word came to Abraham, he said, behold, here I am. And he listened to everything. And I'm just asking you, do you read God's word on your own when it's preached or it's taught? Do you perk up and pay attention? Or do you, do you zone out? Do you tune out? Because your, your uh, priority on God's word will, is a revealer from the very beginning if God, whether or not God has your heart. And you being in God's house to hear the preaching is a revealer of whether or not God has your heart. If you want to pass the heart test, listen to God's instructions. But the second part of the heart test this morning is that it involved actually taking the test. Some people are really good at, oh yeah, I get it, I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening. But when it comes time to put feet to what they've heard, they're not very good at following through. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Wow. He rose up early to obey. I mean, the same thing happened in Genesis 20, verse 14, when God said, I want you to release Ishmael. He rose up early. When it's time to let Ishmael go, listen, this is unquestioned and questionable, I'm sorry, unquestionable obedience. He doesn't ask any questions. He acts, I love this phrase, and I've used this a long time, he acts immediately and with zeal. And that should be the way that we obey God's word. We act immediately and we do it with zeal. Because you can obey right away but drag your feet and make it clear that you're not happy about it. Or you can obey right away and say, no, I'm doing it right now. I'm going to obey right away. And this morning, you'll be confronted with God's word. And the question is, will you act immediately and will you act with zeal? Because it's a revealer of whether or not God has our hearts if we act immediately and we act with zeal. I'm asking you, is that how you obey? Unquestioning obedience. And it's amazing because I guarantee you, Abraham had questions. We're not told that he asks any, but I guarantee he had questions. Think about it. God's promises were applied to Isaac as the heir. This is the person that God's promises were coming through. But God told Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice? I, I'm sorry, those things don't work together. They're literally impossible. You understand that? They're literally impossible. God says on one hand, Isaac is the son of promise. It is through him that all these promises are going to come. On the other hand, he says, I want you to offer Isaac as a burnt, a burnt offering. And Abraham is over here and he's trying to hold on to this as the promise. And he's trying to rectify it with this as the commandment. And say these two things do not fit in the same box. They're diametrically opposed Obedience is sometimes hard, and I'm telling you, sometimes obedience feels impossible. And there's something that God has wanted you to do for a long time. And I'm telling you, every day that you wake up to try to do it, you feel like, I can't do this. It feels impossible. And we have to, in those moments, decide if we trust our way or God's way. And Abraham certainly reveals that he trusts God's way. Let's, look, let's just look at the narrative here. I want you to think about all the ways that Abraham obeys all the way through. Look at verse 4. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place 
afar off. You know what that means? That means that Abraham and Isaac and his young men and the animals, they walked for three days to get to Moriah. So can you imagine this? This is the hardest thing anybody's ever asked you to do, and you have three days to think about it. On that three-day journey, do you think that in Abraham's mind, he might have come, tried to come up with a few ways to get out of this? Don't you think, and I'm, I'm just speculating, but if he's a human like we are, we know that he is, don't you think that was a hard three days? It was a very difficult journey, three days, thinking about what he has to do, knowing what lies ahead, and trying to come up with, with things that, that would maybe allow him to get out of this. But verse 5, it says, when they got there, Abraham had said unto the, his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You say, well, what, what, what does that mean? I mean, that, that's not what God said. What, you, we're going to come back? Well, I believe that three-day journey was the three days that, that Abraham, according to Hebrews 11, Abraham decided that God was going to have him kill his son, but that God was going to raise him from the dead. And I believe that three-day journey gave Abraham that confidence, okay? Well, you know, I, I can't change anything. I'm going to do what God says. But according to Hebrews 11, we know that Abraham came to terms with the fact that he would have to kill his son, but God would raise him from the dead. And I believe maybe right there we hear the evidence in his voice saying, me and the child are going to go yonder and worship. By the way, yonder is a good southern word. We're going to go yonder and worship, and we're going to come back. We'll be back. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the, of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. You know what that means? That Isaac carried the wood that would, that would be burned to consume his body. Do you see any pictures here of Jesus Christ with a cross of wood on his shoulders? Walking to Golgotha and being laughed and scorned and carrying the wood, the instrument of his own death. Here's Isaac doing that very thing. He's carrying the wood to up the mountain where he'll be sacrificed. There's a type of Christ here very clearly. So he took the wood, and then it says that uh, I, Abraham took the material for the fire and a, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake, can you imagine this question? Just imagine this. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine that question? I mean, you know what's coming. And as a father, you're going to have to take the life of your son. And he says, Father, we have everything else, but where's the lamb for the offering? And how that must have pierced the heart of Abraham. And I believe he gives an answer of faith here. And in verse 8, he says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. If only he knew the prophetic value of that statement. God will provide himself a lamb. And in our own lives, God has provided himself a lamb. I don't want to get ahead of myself, um, but how prophetic that is. And he still, though, he says, I have faith. God will provide himself a lamb, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have to go through it. Do you see how every step of, of the way, oh, Abraham obeyed? Three days, Abraham obeyed. They get to the mountain, both of them go up the mountain, Abraham obeyed. They get to the top of the mountain, and look, he still obeys in verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham is still obeying, but it's not just Abraham obeying. I want you to notice this too. Isaac, if, 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 let's say that Isaac is, is in his 20s. That means Abraham is in his 120s. 
Do you think Isaac had the, had the speed to outrun his father? I would say so. Do you think that Isaac had the strength to overpower his father? I would say so. And yet here's Isaac, and he's watching the faith of his father, and he's following suit. And he's submitting to his father. And listen, dads and moms, our faith and confidence in God will be caught by our children. And how seriously we take God's instructions and how far we take obedience, our children will follow suit. They're watching us. And here we see an example of not just a father submitted to God's will, but his son submitted to God's perfect will too. Look at verse 10. Here's the moment of truth. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham's not looking around for a way out. He literally lifts up the knife and he's about to plunge it into the, to the chest of his son. He is still obeying. And when God sends a test that feels impossible, the only way to prove ourselves is to obey. It reveals our hearts. Listen, it's not your job to fix the problems. It, it just obey God's word. You don't have to come up with an alternative. Obey God. You don't have to figure out how he's going to work. He works when we obey. And in Abraham's mind, he said, God will provide. And friend, I just want you to see this is true surrender. And I want you to lock in right here. We're about to get to the main point. This is the point that God wanted Abraham to get to. The purpose of a heart test was to reveal whether or not God was first in his life. And we know based on Abraham's unquestioning all the way obedience that God had his heart. And it's as if Abraham came to this point where he said, I don't know how this works. I don't know how God's promises are going to come together if Isaac is dead. I don't know if God will send a lamb or if he'll make me raise or he'll raise my son from the dead. I don't even know why God would do things this way. But one thing I do know is that God has always proven himself. He always keeps his promises. He's always provided. When I mess up, he forgives. When I have faith, he supplies. When Sarah's womb was dead, he gave us a baby. I don't know how it works, but I know God, and he keeps his promises. I don't know anything except this. God will provide. That's what he says. And friend, maybe he's bringing you to a point this morning. There are things in your life that have become your focus. Blessings even. I don't even mean bad things. I mean a career. It's a good thing. But if you ever get to the point where you are living for money or you're living for your career and you're not living for God, there's a, that is revealing where your heart is. Talking about relationships. Relationships can be good, but there should be no relationship in your life more important to you than your relationship with God. Your talents, they're a blessing. Some of us don't have a lot, but we're thankful for the ones we have. Listen, those gifts and abilities are great if they're used for God, but so many people use their talents for themselves and they leave the one who gave them the talents completely out of the equation. Children are wonderful. I'm not saying they're always well behaved, I'm saying they're wonderful, they're a gift. But parents whose children are at the center of their home instead of God and His Word have things flipped around. And this could be any number of things. Listen, any gift from God can become something we place above the giver. Watchman Nee, that, uh, he's a great Chinese Christian, and he wrote along these lines. He said, we approach God like little children with open hands begging for gifts. 
So he fills our arms with these things and, and good things, life and health and friends and money and success and sometimes recognition and a marriage and children and a nice home and a good job and the things we thank God for every day. That's what he fills our hands with. And like children, we rejoice after we receive these things, but then we run around comparing what we have to everyone else. Until one day, God comes back and he says, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And we say, we look at him and he extends his hand and we look at what's in our arms and we say, well, well I, I mean, God, my arms are full. He says, but I want to walk with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And, he say, and you say, well, I can't lay these things down because my arms are full. If I let it, lay them down, I'll lose them. And he says, but if you want to have a fellowship with me, you have to lay them down and take my hand. And we say, God, you're asking far too much. I can't release these things. It's too hard. But then God comes back again and he says, if you want me, you have to let those go. And that's very similar to what happens in our lives. Listen, we, we take the things that God has given us and we use them against him. They become our gods. They become that which is most important. And listen, surrender is not just letting go of Ishmael. That represents our flesh. No, surrender is letting go of Isaac which represents God's blessings. And there will be a time, and I really lock in here, there will be a time when you're tested in order to reveal where God lies in your heart. And it's not because God is cruel, but because God deserves to be first. And I'm asking you today, is he? Is he first in your heart? Abraham proved his fear of God with unquestioning obedience. He passed his test. What does your obedience say about God's position in the pecking order of your heart? Your obedience reveals what's most important to you. Your life, the way you live it, it reveals what's most important to you. So here's how to pass a heart test. You listen to the instructions and you obey all the way. And then the third part of the test comes when we get the grade. And I'd say that Abraham gets 100%. I'm looking at verse 11. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Here it is. God's approval is clear. You have proven that I'm first in your life. Surrender of the most important things proves where God sits in our heart. But listen, here's the great part. God doesn't just give him an A plus and go on his way, which he could. Some teachers, all they put at the top of the test is 100. Or they put an A plus. You know what I always liked? I always liked the teachers that would put an A plus or 100% and they would write something else or draw a little picture for me and let me know they were really happy with my work. Or sticker, scratch and sniff, all the better. See, that's what God does. God doesn't just say, you pass the test. Look what God does. God, God takes it a step further. And when Abraham has God's approval, look what he does in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the set of his son. Listen, when God approved of Abraham's obedience, get this, God provided what Abraham needed. Look at verse 14. 
Here's how Abraham describes it. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Here's the thing. God sees our need and he provides for our needs. That's what Jehovah-Jireh means. But I want you to think about it again. Think about what the words that Abraham said in verse 14 mean. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You know what that means? That means that God didn't provide a solution for Abraham until he was on the top of the mountain. God didn't provide a solution until he was obeying all the way. God didn't provide a solution for Abraham the first time he said, Abraham, I want you to go offer Isaac. And so Abraham takes a step out of his tent. And then God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a ram. No, God made Abraham walk all the way to the top of the mountain, lift the knife above his head at the top of the mountain before he sent the solution, before he provided the lamb. And here's how God works. He doesn't just provide if we take one step. He provides once we obey all the way. On the top of the mountain, the lamb shall be seen. And listen, don't get, we, we fall into thinking that if we've taken one step, boy, we are sure important. And I've done some really good work for God. No, he's looking for all the way obedience. And once we obey all the way in the top of the mount, once you get to the mountain, that's when he provides the ram. He didn't send a ram at Abraham's first step out of the tent. He didn't send a ram at the, at, during Abraham's three-day journey. He sent the ram when Abraham was on top of the mountain, lifting up the knife, ready to plunge it into his son Isaac. And part of our failure is thinking God's obligated to give us answers after our first step. No, his provision comes after we've obeyed all the way. Stop assuming that God will provide before you've obeyed. He doesn't. I mean, he could. But according to this text right here, that's not typically how he works. He's wanting to see if we're fully surrendered before he gives us our provision. Surrender means full obedience in all the way. It means not just saying that God has our dearest heart treasures, but obeying clearly enough to prove it. We obey, the Bible says, then we understand, according to Psalm 111.10. And listen, once we're unquestionably, we've unquestionably obeyed, there's no distance that God isn't willing to go to meet our needs. You understand that? In case you doubt it, let me just ask you this. What's your biggest problem? You say, well, I've got a long list. No, what's, your biggest, what's our biggest problem? Our biggest problem is a three-letter word called sin. And did God provide a solution for that? Absolutely. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a substitute to die in your stead, if we'll use the language of Genesis 22, to die in your place on a cross for your sins. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll save you from your sins and he'll take you to heaven for eternity. It's that simple. Listen, if God was willing to go to those lengths for our sin, our biggest problem, do you really think there's anything else in your life that he's not able to handle? If God saw your need when it comes to sin and he provided for that need with the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, do you really think there's anything else in your life he won't provide if you surrender it to him? I mean, Paul wrote it this way, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he gave you his son to die in your place for your sin and, you, and he's asking you to surrender something to him this morning, then we, shan't, we, we should not ever say he will not provide for it. He's provided for the most important and biggest need in our life and he'll provide for everything else that he asks from you. Abraham didn't withhold his son and we might think that's, a, um, Abraham didn't withhold his son from God. We might think that's a lot to ask, 
But listen, God didn't withhold his son for us. And this whole event is a type of Christ dying on the cross as God's only son who, who Jesus Christ obeyed his father. But I want you to think about this. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, there was no ram in the bushes. He didn't look around and find some other way. God sent his son to die. He, he went through with it. And, and yet here's Abraham and we think, well, this is such a cruel test. And yet God provided a substitute. I'm just telling you, listen, uh, God has already, God has surrendered his son in a way that is beyond what we could ever surrender back to him. And are we sure there's something in our lives so important for us to hold on to that we wouldn't be willing to surrender it back to God? The one who has provided the lamb to die in our place for our sins? Are we sure there's, that, that the things we're holding on to are really matter that much when he was willing to send his son to die on a cross for us? You might say, well, I can't surrender my Isaac. I'm very attached to it. You say, my family is my Isaac, and, and I love my family. And boy, I don't know. And, and it's a good thing. You should love your family. But I know, I know Christians that their, their family holds them back from serving God like they should. And, you know, their family determines... Where, where they go to church, where their family determines how often they go to church. When family comes into town, they don't go to church. And sometimes, as good as family is, listen, Jesus Christ even said, I mean, you, you can, you can, if you're going to be a follower of me, you've got to forsake your family. You've got to make your love for me look like hate. And it's, a, it's, it's not real hate. He's saying that you should love me so much that everyone else comes in second, third, fourth, fifth place, but I'm ad, absolutely first. And listen, here's the thing. Sometimes we're afraid to surrender those things, those relationships. But I'm telling you, once we do, he provides in the top of the mountain. Once you take the steps of obedience all the way, he provides in ways he never thought he could. And he might even make those relationships even sweeter because he's first and he's given you grace to help with all those other things. So you would say, well, it's really hard for me to lay my Isaac down because uh, my, my Isaac is my, are my plans. And... You know, I have plans. I think about young people. Listen, making plans is great. It's great. But if, if, you're, if your plans are your Isaac and you're unwilling to lay those down for God, then your plans will never be as good as God's plans. And it may be time for you to say, no, uh, this is an Isaac in my life. And if God wants me to do something different, I will, I will lay my, my Isaac down. They say, well, my, my um, Isaac is my comfort zone. And we all appreciate comfort, but surrender means we're willing to follow God in spite of comfort. And there may be a heart test coming, and I'm asking, will you, be a, a, will you obey if the Lord leads you to become a better witness and more bold? Will you be willing to, to surrender if, if God wants you uh, to start a bus route here at Eastside? Will you surrender if God wants you to teach a class, which we need some teachers? Will you submit to whatever he asks you and you say, that's so far outside my comfort zone, I just don't know. Well, listen, Abraham was far outside his comfort zone. And he obeyed all the way and God provided. I'm telling you, when you step outside your comfort zone, God will give you everything you need to do what he asks you to do. I'm looking at the Ruckmans this morning. I'm so thankful for them being here, missionaries to Africa. You talk about stepping outside your comfort zone. They're up in 
in northern South Dakota, north central South Dakota. He planted a church that was there for a number of years and God blessed it. It's a light, I mean, alive and, and a vibrant, energetic, good church up there. And yet God pricked his heart and moved in him to relocate his family to Africa. Brother Ruckman, there was a lot of you coming to the end of your comfort zone when it came to that, wasn't it? A lot of surrender. And yet I look now at all God has done in Africa because of the Ruckmans. And they're about to go back in January. And not because, just because of the Ruckmans, but by his power, he's used them to make a difference in how many souls and, and churches have been planted. I'm listening, and when you step outside your comfort zone, God will use you in ways you never thought. And you think, well, he can't use me. I'm just not that person. No, if he calls you there and you step outside your comfort zone and, and obey, he'll provide the lamb. He'll provide everything that you need to do exactly what he's called you to do it's how he works listen this morning it's time for us to be confronted with this will you lay your Isaac down your obedience reveals your heart and here's how I would say it this morning how tightly you hold to the gifts reveals how strongly you love the giver how tightly you hold to the gifts reveals how strongly you love the giver And I'm asking you this morning, God gave you the Isaac, will you lay it down and put God first? Your Isaac may be a witness at school. My Isaac, I just don't know if I can lay that down. I don't know that I can be a witness at work or a witness at school with my friends. No, it's time to lay it down. And once you lay it down, he provides the strength to be the witness he calls you to be. You say, my Isaac is is serving God and, and getting involved in ministry. And you say, I'm afraid, I'm not comfortable. No, lay it down. And watch God provide by developing you into what you're supposed to be. Look, you know the principle whom he calls, he enables. You say, well, my, my Isaac is, uh, you know, humbling myself to make things right with somebody else. Well, lay it down and he'll provide the grace you need. Obey, take the steps of obedience, he provides. My Isaac is surrendering to God's call on my life. And listen, we need more people to surrender, to go into the field and serve God with their lives and preach the gospel and, and be good pastor's wives or, and get into the ministry and just give your life to Jesus Christ. But we're so comfortable. Maybe God's calling you to surrender. And you say, I just don't know that I could do that. I have so much here. Now lay it down and watch him work. In salvation, you say, that's my Isaac is salvation. And my, your pride is keeping you from, from letting go of your works. And you think, well, I can do this. I can figure this out on my own. I just don't know that I can humble myself. And maybe you're a longtime church member. And your, your pride, is, Isaac is your pride. You say, I just don't know. I mean, I've been struggling with it for so long. And I just don't know that I could humble myself. It'd be so embarrassing. Listen, rather to be embarrassed a little bit here, really for no reason, because everyone would just be happy. But rather to be a little embarrassed here than stand before Christ in shame and knowing that you should have made that choice a long time before. Maybe salvation is your Isaac. And you say, I just haven't submitted to it. I don't know if I lay it down. Will he do what I need him to? Listen, he's already done what you need him to. Jesus Christ died on the cross. The work is done. It's finished. He's already provided. In some ways, that's even easier because you know it's already ready. 
It's already provided. And I'm asking you this morning, you don't know that you'll live till tomorrow. We've got people in here who don't know if they're saved and you don't know what the next 24 hours holds. And, and if you were to die in 24 hours without Christ, you'd spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. And listen, that's an Isaac. That's very, it's time to lay that Isaac down. It's time to say, I'm, I can't hold on to this anymore. I don't want to wonder anymore. I just need to submit this to Christ and you will find that the lamb has already been provided. The work has already been done. And all it takes on your part is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. What does your heart test reveal this morning? Are you taking his instructions seriously? Are you obeying but dragging your feet? Does your obedience reflect that God is first in your life? Is he first? Are you willing to surrender anything he asks? Because here's the thing. Not laying your Isaac down reveals its place at the top of your heart. But laying it down enables God's provision to supply your every need. My question today is this. Will you lay your Isaac down? You want to reveal where your heart is? You want to pass your heart test this morning? then whatever it is in your life that you have not been willing to submit to God, it's time to lay it down. Don't hold back. Don't think, well, you know, I've got this and this. No, lay it down. And I, We're going to do something different at the end of this sermon here. I've asked my daughter Olivia, uh, my girls are going to sing and play a song that they sang a few weeks ago. So I'm going to ask them to get into place at this time. And the song is called Lay Your Isaac Down. The day I laid my Isaac down. And the purpose, the point of the song is, have you surrendered everything? Have you laid it down before the Lord? Is there anything in your heart that you're holding on to? And, this, and the point of this is not to get you emotional. I think the song just says it in a way. And what I'm going to ask you to do is listen to the words of this in a prayerful attitude. And then as it's being sung, ask God if there's anything that you need to lay down to prove yourself to him. And once the song is done, I'm going to pray. And then we'll, we'll have a verse of invitation, which means you're invited to come forward and make a decision for Christ. This could be God's people. It could be the unsaved. Listen, if you want someone to pray with us, let us know. But I'm asking you to do this. If the Lord is asking you to lay something down, to prove his position in your heart, would you be willing to come up the mountain? Mount Moriah. Would you be willing to go all the way and say, I will obey to prove my heart to you, that you are first in a prayerful spirit. Let the Lord use the truth of this song to speak to you as Olivia sings. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.